I'm Gabby. Welcome to another episode of the Happy at Life Project, brought to you by free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Now, you've clicked on the podcast, you've read the title, Steps for Managing Anger, and I just wanted to let you know from the get-go, we're not just talking about managing your own anger today. We're also talking about managing other people's. Whether you are the person that is completely raging or you're on the receiving end, it's not good for either party's mental and emotional health. I want to share with you a paragraph from the NHS Inform website. Anger gives us strength and energy and it motivates us to act. But for some people, anger can get out of control and cause problems with relationships, work, and even the law. Long-term unresolved anger is linked to health conditions such as high blood pressure, depression, anxiety, and heart disease. And it's important to deal with anger in a healthy way that doesn't harm you or anybody else. So this got me to thinking about the place of anger in our life. I mean, it's universal. Nobody escapes it, right? And whilst anger is not considered a mental health issue, it can often be a symptom and something we need professional help for. Enter today's guest, Dr. Ryan Martin, AKA the anger professor on social media. He researches and writes on healthy and unhealthy expressions of anger. Dr. Ryan's books, How to Deal with Angry People, 10 Strategies for Facing Anger at Home, at Work and in the Street, and Why We Get Mad, How to Use Your Anger for Positive Change, explores why people become angry, how people can use their anger in productive ways, and how to work effectively with angry people. The psychologist, social media, mental health influencer and author also hosts the popular psychology podcast, Psychology and Stuff. So we're thrilled to have him on our podcast today, exploring some of the steps we can take for managing anger. So, ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, psychologist, author, and anger expert, Dr. Ryan Martin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you about this. Well, yeah, and there's quite a lot to talk about. I mean, I do have a tendency to over-research, and I've got both of your books on Audible. Um, <laughs> but then I was—I had to stop myself because I was like, I've got 12 pages of notes, Gabby, and I've got to be mindful of you know your time. <laughs> But the more I kind of looked into anger as a subject matter, then the more I realized how complex it was. Yeah, you have just described the last uh, 25 years of my life, sort of. To <laughs> right. you know, I, I think um, it, it, it started out, I thought it was relatively simple. And, and I think I would argue that what kept me going is exactly what you're describing, which is the more you start to dive into the emotional experience of anger and what it means mm -hmm. and 
things like that, the more interesting it gets. And that's been my experience uh, reading about it, writing about it, researching it and all those ways. Why did you get so fascinated in anger that you made it the past 25 years of your life yeah. to research? Yeah, you know, it, it's it, there's no one thing that led to it. Um, but I tell you, it, it really, a lot of it started, which I, I talk about in, in my first book, it started a little bit in my, my family life. There was sort of a running comment uh, about the, the quote-unquote Martin temper and that particularly the man in my family had anger problems, anger issues, had a temper. Um, I think that it's that is sort of true, but not entirely true, as I've learned more about it. That it's more common than I think I realized when I was growing up. So that was mm -hmm. part of it. Some of it was I was drawn to it through work I did in college with um, adolescents at a shelter I worked at and some of the, the frequent anger experiences they had. But then the other piece of it is when I, I went to graduate school with the idea that this is what I was interested in and this is what I wanted to study, I think discovering how much less attention it had gotten in the research than some other negative, quote unquote, emotional states. And so mm -hmm. we just knew quite a bit less about it than we know about, say, sadness or fear, which had gotten a lot of research. Um, mm. and, and I think the reason for that is that a lot of the research up until that point had been really focused on aggression, right, which is a related but different concept. And aggression is a behavior. It's a behavior with the intent to hurt someone or something. That had gotten a lot of attention in the research. And I think that attention actually took away from the emotion that was oftentimes driving that aggression, mm. but, but ultimately not always. There's lots of reasons why human beings or animals aggress, and it's not always anger. But so anger hadn't really mm. seen the same kind of research. And I became really intrigued with wanting to fill some of those gaps in the research, trying to understand why those gaps were there, and just trying to help answer a lot of questions that people had um, that hadn't yet been answered. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would think that aggression and anger would go hand in hand. And I think quite often people would think it's one and the same as well. Yeah, I think I think oftentimes people do, and and they certainly do go hand in hand. What makes them not one and the same is really two things. First, um, as most people can can sort of point to relatively easily, there are lots of times when we're angry when we don't aggress, right? Where there's lots of times when we're angry where we don't try and hurt people. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that's because we internalize it sometimes that's because we take deep breaths and we find ways to relax sometimes it's because we we tend to focus our anger on maybe more um, so i'm i'm for instance a problem solver when i'm angry right to me anger says i've got a problem with something in my environment and so let's try and fix it so that's one reason we know they're not one and the same is that we can express our anger in lots of ways the other reason we know is that it's very possible to be aggressive as for a reason other than anger. Um, and this one's a little harder for people to grasp, but there are times in our life when we hurt someone or something and it's not the result of uh, anger. And so combat is probably a, a good example of that, you know, soldiers. Um, where they, they aren't necessarily angry at the people they're fighting. They're doing it because mm -hmm. they were ordered to. Here in Wisconsin, where I live, the hunting culture is very, very prominent. And even though I'm not a hunter, I, I have a sense for what hunters are like. And I don't mm -hmm. think they're angry at the 
the prey, right? They're not mad at the deer. When they're hunting, they're aggressing for a reason, for sport in that case. And so um, you say the same thing about, you know, it's even more obvious when we look at animals, you know, animals oftentimes aggress in self-defense. They aggress Mm -hmm. for reasons other than because they're hungry for reasons other than anger. Mm. When we're looking at anger, before we zoom in, I want to zoom right out. Do you think over the past few years that we've become just more angry on a global scale? Because it sure feels like that. Right. Yeah. So my gut says yes, we have. Mm. Um, Why I hesitate a little bit is because um, there's no easy way to answer that. And so if I can expand a little bit, I'd say I, I wish we had like a a thermometer, right? I wish we had a way that we could really measure sort of global anger and whether or not it's increasing or decreasing. We don't have that, but here are reasons why I think it's increasing. One is we do have some indicators. So we can point to things like road rage, uh, which we, uh, at least here in the US, we have seen a demonstrable increase in. Um, We can also point to even more specific indicators in the U.S. We've seen a very specific type of road rage, which is road rage shootings, which have been on the increase in the United States. We've got service providers, uh, including flight attendants and fast food restaurant employees and so on, saying that they're dealing with more hostility from customers. We've got teachers saying that they're dealing with more kind of student aggression in the classroom. Yeah. And then just general, I mean, almost everyone I talk to says something along the lines of what you just said, which is it seems like we're angrier now than we used to be. Yeah. Those are that's another indicator, right? Yeah. I will say the flip side is and there's a piece of me that wonders sometimes if some of that anger was there, but just less visible. And mm. so it, it's also possible that through social media we've made anger a little bit more visible. We're hearing those accounts of service, you know, service providers in ways we didn't used to hear. And so I think all of that is also probably playing a role. Um, All that said, my gut answer is, yeah, we are angrier now. And I think there are some potential reasons for that. Yeah, I think people are just maybe incredibly frustrated. And I would even say since the pandemic, like longer wait times, um, that kind of thing. And yeah, you're right. Social media is a great place to vent, isn't it? Yeah. And I think social media, it, it definitely it leads to venting. And, and there's a lot of that. It also, I think, is informing the anger on the front end a little bit in that the nature of our social media, the bubbles that we end up creating there, um, I think unintentionally, but based on the algorithms and, and based on who we're friends with, mean that mm we're not exposed to alternative perspectives very often. And so Mm -hmm. I think that sort of insulated bubbling that's happening to us makes us less likely to, or more likely to get angry when we're confronted by people we don't agree with. Um, Mm. And so I think that's probably driving some of it. I agree with you, I think. You know, part of, there's this odd thing that's happening in the, that's happened over, over time in that, in a lot of ways, we are not asked to wait very often the way we once were. And so I think about media being the best example of this. You know, Mike, I still remember the first time my children, who are 11 and 13, the first time they ever saw a TV commercial. 
They were mm-hmm. utterly unfamiliar with the idea that you couldn't just watch a show whenever you wanted from start to finish and not have it interrupted. So they had mm-hmm. never once waited uh, a week to get access to a show they wanted, whereas that was a common experience in my life. So I think that we, you know, we lived mm-hmm. in this sort of on-demand society, but then now I do think we're seeing, you know, because of supply chain, because of increases in uh, like wait times at restaurants and staff shortages, people have all of a sudden been asked to slow down. And I think that there's a um, some impatience has developed as a result of not having to ever really wait for things very often. Mm, really good point. We know that anger is universal and everybody experiences it to some degree. Why does it affect some people more than others? Or is it more, can some people control it more than others? Yeah, it, great question. And and it's a little bit of both of those things. So there are people mm-hmm. who just get angry more often than others. And when that happens, we, we refer to Anger can be an emotion. Uh, I mean, is an emotion. And it, in some, when it happens that way, we think of it as a state, like an emotional state that, as you said, we all experience. And then there mm-hmm. are some people for whom anger is also a personality trait. They get angry more often. They mm-hmm. express that anger in less healthy ways. They have more anger-related consequences, like damage friendships and things like that. So one of the reasons for that is it can be driven by some other personality traits. So narcissism is one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, competitiveness is one of those. Those are some other personality traits that can drive it. Yeah, I was reading in um, your material, I thought it was really interesting that you said it's um, type A types yep. are very prone to display anger. Yeah, type A is one of those personality characteristics driven by those things I was just saying, the competitiveness, the, the just having high expectations for yourself, but also high expectations for others. What that mm. ultimately means is that other people don't meet your expectations potentially relatively often. And so you get mad because your coworker doesn't do something the way you wanted them to. You get mad because the other drivers uh, aren't driving the way you want them to or, or whatever. Um, right. All of those characteristics, can, or all those things can lead to anger. So that's a big part of it. Um, mm. There's also just, I think for some people, their anger comes from a place of be having like a heightened sense or acknowledgement of injustice. It isn't always a quote unquote bad thing when someone gets angry because for sometimes it comes from a very good place of, of caring deeply for other people's feelings, for other people's rights. And the anger comes from seeing those rights violated regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, In that case, I think it's less about whether or not the person's angry and then, uh, than it is like how to deal with that anger. Mm. I really appreciate the fact that with your two books, you've kind of covered both sides of the coin because you've got why we get mad, which is more about us, right? And then we've got Mm -hmm. how to deal with angry people. So yeah, you've really covered now both sides. And it made me think about how anger does affect usually more than one party, right? Because the receiver can actually, I think, be more traumatized than the person who is projecting the anger just because sometimes it can almost be quite violent not necessarily physically Mm -hmm. but you know even just verbally 
Yeah, I mean, that was really what what motivated me writing the second book was mm -hmm. um, having shared some thoughts on social media about how to... You went viral, didn't you, with TikTok? Yeah. 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 I had a, a, I did a series of TikTok pretty early on in my sort of uh, social media career, if that is such mm -hmm. a thing, um, right. where I, I did a series on dealing with angry people. And it, it really started out pretty simple, like here are some strategies. And what I discovered is that people, it really resonated with people. They really wanted to know more. They really wanted to share more with me and get, get ideas. And it became a really, to me, a really fascinating conversation with people about this. And, I, mm. but really what it said more than anything is that people wanted help and felt like they needed help. And, and that's always been sort of what's motivated my, my interest in this anyways, is wanting to be able to help people deal with emotions mm -hmm. and work through things. And so it, it seemed like, oh, there's a, there's a real interest here. Let's expand on, on some of this work. Mm. Being just myself personally, I think more of a receiver of anger than somebody who yeah necessarily takes it out on other I'm sure I'm no angel <laughs> my family probably say otherwise but you know mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I'm not necessarily an air quote angry person mm -hmm. but like I can feel quite emotional quite vulnerable if I am on the receiving end and I think sometimes it can be unfair because it's not necessarily anger that I have earned in terms of you know the anger's just misdirected but i feel like i'm maybe in the firing line so right. that must have been i guess a common motivator then for this book yeah that people you know, people are like me a bit of a not a wuss but you know just not so confrontational yeah i absolutely i mean one of the things that i think i try to convey is you know, the angry people in our lives, they aren't necessarily angry at us. Um, mm. Sometimes um, we, they're just angry at the world, but living with them or being with them or spending time with them can still be exhausting, um, yeah. that it, you know, or scary or a host of other things. And so, you know, I, I covered in my first book that I, uh, my dad was a, was an angry guy, um, but his anger was not regularly taken out on me. That wasn't how it manifested in our relationship. He was angry mm -hmm. at oftentimes service providers and others, but being around him was scary for me. Mm -hmm. um, not because I thought he was going to yell at me, but because I thought he was going to yell at someone. And that was a thing that I heard from a lot of people. I did a bunch of interviews with people as I wrote this. And one of the things mm -hmm. I heard over and over again is it feels really exhausting. I'm sp I spend so much of my emotional energy trying to prevent another person from getting angry that, you know, people use the expression walking on eggshells, you right. know, trying to control the people around them to keep them from getting, from doing anything that would cross their partner. People describe yeah. scared when they were in the car with someone who was angry and worried for their safety. And so it it felt all of these all of these things felt really um, just really exhausting and really tiring. Yeah, and sometimes I think maybe we don't hold the other person accountable or feel comfortable to share our feelings with them because we don't want to to say another cliche poke the bear. <laughs> yep, I, absolutely. I mean that was one. Of, so that can be a way that I think angry people 
probably, I mean, sometimes intentionally, but oftentimes unintentionally control the people around them is mm -hmm. that they sort of scare people into submission in some ways. It's like, well, if I'm people won't challenge me because they're scared of my temper. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and so then they just do what I want. And you see that in the workplace, you see it in families, um, you'll even see it in friendship groups. And that is you know, the, the thing that I would want angry people to know is that that may feel like it's working. Ultimately, it's not. Ultimately, it, there are long-term consequences to that in that um, ultimately, if you're, if you're a boss and you've got, and that's how you control people, they leave, right? They quit, they find other jobs. They, you know, it, it creates a, sort of a, a hostile work environment that uh, mm -hmm. is oftentimes ineffective. It's damaging to your relationships with family. It isn't a strategy that works in the long run if what you're trying to do is cultivate healthy relationships, even if it feels like it's working in the short term. Mm. And in terms of like controlling episodes of anger, people often feel better, don't they, when they've had a good argument or whatever, if they are on on that side, the more angry person um, I guess it's kind of that release, right? But then again, if you're on the receiving end, not so nice. So what's the answer there? Because it's probably not a good idea to hold on to the rage in yoga. We're taught, you know, it's all about releasing and it affects the body on a physical level, right? If you're holding on to this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think there? What I think is really important is for people to know that there are lots and lots of options for channeling anger and that I, I think for a long time um, I was in a place, especially when I was young, I was in a place where in my mind there was just two options, right? You either let it out or you suppressed it. And in reality, there's all sorts of things we can do. Um, and so what would be some of them? Yeah, starting starting from the perspective of even like what it looks like to let it out. You know, yes, there are options of, of yelling and screaming and hitting things. Those are not typically the healthiest options. You can channel it into, um, I mean, I, I know people who channel it into their writing. Rage on the page. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's, you know, really intended to sort of process and think through it. I know people who channel it into their artwork or their poetry or other sorts of mechanisms. I know people who play music or listen to music in those moments. Um, and not necessarily angry or aggressive music, just music. There are people, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, I'm, I'm sort of a problem solver. To me, I like to channel my anger into, into solutions, especially if it's sort of a recurring problem. If I see, if something's happening a lot and I'm getting frustrated by a lot, mm -hmm. I like to take a moment and just say, okay, how do we prevent this from happening in the future? There are, uh, on the hold it inside, there's different ways of holding it in too, right? We can hold it in and lie to ourselves and say, it's fine. It, I'm not really upset. And that, of course, I don't think is healthy. But there's mm -hmm. also, there, there are those deep breathing approaches or yoga or meditation uh, types of approaches that can be really uh, mm -hmm. productive and effective going back to letting it out i think that you know there's there's aggression which isn't good for the people around you but there's also assertion right where you can communicate to people in a calm not aggressive not hurtful way hey this is what i'm dealing with this is how i'm feeling about it can we talk about it and can we work through it 
that can be mm. just a little sort of example yeah that makes me think of the joke you know if people have botox and they say i'm really mad at you right now but they do it very deadpan because they can't move their face so maybe we need to think about the botox application for our uh, voice at the time (laughs) you know I, i love it i um you know just the other day i i was dealing with a very very frustrating situation at my son's doctor's office and where just lots of confusion and processes and things like that that was really really irritating and something we've been dealing with for a long time and so i i found myself really feeling like you know what this is unreasonable and unfair and not a good practice and and then of course you know in the united states i have all sorts of questions bigger than just this about how our healthcare system works and it brought up all of that too for me and so i was dealing with a lot of a lot of frustration yeah and i articulated all of that to the person i was dealing with the office manager there and it was funny because i i did really she was wonderful and she she heard me and she listened and she nodded and she she tried to offer me solutions and things like that, which was great because of what I do and who I am. And also because I tend to be relatively sensitive to other people's feelings. I did sort of obsess about whether or not at any point of that conversation, I had kind of crossed a line into aggressive where I had had said something hurtful or whatever. I can also tell you um, Mm. sort of side note that later on we had to go back to the doctor and deal with some things when we got there they had had a five dollar gift card to target waiting for us as a apology for our (laughs) troubles and so you know on some level i i feel like that that assertion worked you know it essentially Mm -hmm. communicated hey look this is really frustrating but we were polite and we we handled in the best way i think we could yeah yeah i think that's sometimes people forget that step don't they they just go from zero to hero yeah uh oh i've got some interesting stacks which i'd love to to share with you so this is about road rage because i know you talk about this a lot Britain is the top road rage country within the European Union, although we've left the European Union now. So, so, But apparently this is still quite recent stats with 80.4% of drivers claiming to have been involved in road rage incidents. Another one in four drivers admit to committing an act of road rage. And then there's been an uh, astonishing 400% increase in air rage over the, the past however many years. Air. Have you spent any time in Britain? Air rage. Well, I guess I think they mean flight, flying flight. Okay. flight stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, wow, because, you know, yeah. I've lived in Italy for a while. I've seen the road rage there. <laughs> yeah, that is really interesting. And um, mm. I, I did not know that about Britain. And I have not spent a lot of time there, regrettably. Yeah. Much to my wife's chagrin, who did a semester in London. And we very much want to come visit again soon. So, right. Uh, but I, I will tell you a couple of things that jumped out at me about that. Um, and first of all, I, I think other people have heard me say this. I've said this before, but the driving is just sort of the, the perfect situation for causing and exacerbating anger. Everything about it is really sort of almost like it's designed to, to lead to anger. We, we, mm-hmm. We've got goals that can easily be blocked. We're nervous and anxious about um, our uh, about the fact that we're driving, which is inherently dangerous. 
it's a complicated psychological task. And so it can feel a little bit overwhelming to us at times, whether we realize it or not, that's going on. The roads are crowded. There's lots of people and people who sort of have different norms about how you should or should not drive and have different mm -hmm. expectations for one another. All of these different things play a role. And, and, you know, plus our success in that task is oftentimes linked to whether or not other people are doing what we want them to do. And so for all of those reasons, it's just a, a perfect situation for, for leading to anger. I will add, I also think though, that driving, that what we're seeing on, a on the road is a symptom of a broader problem. And I say that because I think how, how we view those other drivers on the road is oftentimes linked to how we're just viewing other people in the world right now. And I think that there's a lot of blaming. I think there's a lot of feeling like other people are um, not doing what we want them to do. And I think that it that bleeds over into, into the road and there's just a, a frustration and an intolerance with one another that seems to be, uh, and frankly, a competitiveness with one another that seems yeah. to be kind of driving things right now. That's really, really interesting. Um, I don't have stats, so I can only be a bit presumptuous here, but it does seem, in my experience of being on the road and driving, that men tend to be more aggressive than females mm -hmm. when it comes to being on the road. Why do you think that is? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I think there's a couple of things at play. One, um, that, that mirrors findings we have outside of the road, um, meaning that while men and women tend to get angry at the same rates, uh, men do tend to express it outwardly more often than women do. Women tend to internalize and suppress or control their, their anger more often than men do. That is likely, and, and I think we've got pretty good evidence to say that that is probably because of socialization and upbringing and the messages that boys as children receive about appropriate expression of emotion versus the messages mm -hmm. girls receive. And so boys potentially being rewarded, boys and men being rewarded for anger in ways that girls and women are not rewarded for uh, outward expressions of anger. And I think that's probably what's going on in the road as well. And I, I should preface that by saying, mm -hmm. I don't know of any research on that, on that specific thing either, but I, I mm -hmm. suspect that what you're saying is correct. Mm. That, that men are more aggressive on the road. Well, in order to be fair to men, I will say, talk about women in rage being hormonal. Yep. Then, you know, men step aside, women can get very, very angry. Right. And we can get irritated and angry at things that usually we wouldn't, you know, wouldn't affect us at all. What's going on there? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, so I don't know much about the research on that particular topic. I, I know mm -hmm. anecdotally that that I hear lots and lots of people talk about sort of feeling hormonal, whether it's uh, when menstruating or mm -hmm. um, when pregnant. Um, and mm -hmm. how that is linked to a lot of different emotional experiences, not just anger, but real intense bouts of sadness, um, mm -hmm. real intense bouts of frustration, uh, and things like that. 
that I will admit I'm I'm just not as familiar with some of the the research linking those things, but certainly things mm. that, that people tell me. Often. Yeah, it's it's definitely not anecdotal, Ryan. Yep. You can take yeah. my word on that. <laughs> my, my wife would say the same thing uh, yeah there you go there you go <laughs> the happier life project podcast mm-hmm. is part of um the mental health and wellness at my possible self okay. and when we look at anger and mental health anger isn't a mental health problem but we can still go to a therapist for it and it does seem to be a symptom of perhaps mental health illness or issues should we say and something in your work that I read that I thought was really interesting was about when children display anger that can often be an outlet for depression yeah yeah so this is a really 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 big and complicated and messy topic but you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right so if we think about um you know the the book that many people use to diagnose mental health conditions, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the the DSM. When we talk about that book, there is nothing in that book that you would refer to as like an anger disorder, right? There is nothing Mm -hmm. that um, exists, and and which is interesting because we have multiple depression disorders. We have multiple, even more anxiety disorders uh, in the book. But we don't have anything that you would, we don't have a category called like anger disorders or anything you would consider that an anger disorder. Mm -hmm. Now, anger is a symptom of quite a few different conditions in the DSM, um, including, as you pointed out, a symptom of depression in children. So um, if you look at the criteria for major depressive disorder, one of the criteria specifically says that that depressed mood can manifest as uh, irritability in children, Hmm. which really, it sort of speaks to a, if we just back out a little bit, to a broader sort of conceptualization of anger, oftentimes being considered secondary to other problems, because irritability is listed in the DSM in a couple of places for people who are, have, for example, anxiety problems or things like that. So it speaks to this idea that anger is not the primary problem, Something mm-hmm. else is the primary problem, and anger is just a symptom of that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will acknowledge I absolutely know that that is true sometimes. We, we have lots of cases where anger is kind of quote unquote secondary to something else. That said, anger is sometimes the primary problem, right? Mm-hmm. Anger where it's it's not masking depression, it's not masking fear, it's not masking hurt. They're just mad. Um, right. Yeah. You, you know, they're just impatient and they're angry. And I think that's where the that DSM issue can be a real problem, because I do think it really suggests that if you're angry, there's something else going on. And, and we know tons of people who that is not the case. The anger is the primary thing. Yeah. And you're hurting, yes, other people around you, but often yourself. I mean, people get really mad at themselves, too. You You yes. talk about this as well. Yep. That, that is a fascinating finding, actually. I, so on my website, I have uh, this thing called the Anger Project where people can go in and just enter their... I know. I, I had a go. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good, good. And in it, one of, the, one of the things that was actually a surprise to me was how many people pointed to themselves as the primary source of their anger. It, it's really interesting because 
you know, in, in anger research, we talk a lot about what we call other directed shoulds, meaning I have these expectations for how other people should act. Mm-hmm. And when they don't act the way I want them to, I get mad. Well, in this case, it's all about self-directed shoulds. It's all about I have expectations for how I should act. And when I don't do a good job, I get mad at myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that could be I didn't exercise as much as I said I was going to, or I didn't eat right when I said I was going to, or I I was going to try and get all this work done today. And instead I spent the day watching TV or, you know, things like mm-hmm. that where people end up getting angry at themselves for these things instead of at other, instead of other people. Yeah. Some of that is what you've listed there is procrastination, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But that's usually, that's a symptom of something deeper, isn't it then? Yeah, it definitely can be. Um, When, when people, I mean, procrastination can be linked to quite a few things, but certainly could be linked Mm. to depression ultimately, sometimes I think it's linked to some anxiety. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. when people procrastinate, it's because they don't want to, uh, they're actually worried about doing the thing. And so they're putting it off because they're scared of the thing. Right. Uh, Whatever that thing is. Yeah. It's like maybe the goal they've set, they're scared to try and achieve it. And what you say about anger is when something stops the achieving the goal, that's when you get angry. So it does all kind of weave around each other, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, that uh, going back to the, the conversation about the DSM for a second, I do think anger should be better represented in the DSM. I think that would be a good thing. But one of the things that I do think is important for people to understand is that these emotions and these, frankly, in the DSM, these disorders, they do not occur in a vacuum. Human beings feel lots of things at the same time we tend to tease them apart for simplicity in talking about them and in researching them. But you're rarely just one thing at a time. You're, you're angry at the same time you're scared. You're angry at the same time you're sad. Frankly, you can be angry and happy at the same time. Right. And feeling sort of, you know, that bittersweet feeling of happy for them, upset for me, those things are possible. And so sometimes I think we maybe do a disservice by simplifying too much uh, and separating them out too much. When do you think it is time to get help? What are some of the big reasons that people do get help professionally with managing their anger? Yeah, you know, a couple of, of thoughts that I have on that. And the first is, if you feel like you want it, right? I mean, I, I talk to lots of people who say, I know that's really simple, but who say, yeah, I just, I wish, I wish I didn't get so angry all the time. And, and my response is, you know, there are people who can help with that. And, mm. and that's a, that's a good time uh, to think about it. No, if that's not you and you're, it's not so much that you're really concerned about it. Here are some things that I would encourage people to think about. Um, one is, are you, are you damaging relationships as a result of your anger? Um, and think about that broadly. So not just, yeah, we get in fights all the time, but but going back to what we said about maybe scaring our friends, scaring our kids, you know, making people uncomfortable related to damaged relationships. But are we getting into physical or verbal altercations as a result of our anger is another good clue. And then what I would actually include um, online altercations. Is that happening uh, a lot? 
are we experiencing physiological symptoms, meaning chronic headaches or muscle tension or um, any kind of cardiovascular problems that, that can result from chronic anger? Are we turning to um, alcohol or other drugs as a way of dealing with anger? So, you know, do people sort of cope with their anger through by drinking too much mm -hmm. or by smoking too much or using other drugs? The the final one that jumps out too is I, there's obviously stuff on the road we've talked about if you're experiencing those kinds of consequences or dangerous situations. But another one is a lot of times angry people, they experience some um, this is sort of the opposite of what we talked about. They experience some other negative emotions as a result of their anger. And so their anger leads to guilt after the fact, like, oh, I shouldn't have mm -hmm. said what I said, and now they're feeling guilty, or um, maybe some anxiety, oh, I said what I said, and now I'm going to get in trouble for it, or things like that. Like, those are mm -hmm. all, those are all things that that can happen um, for people who experience these kind of chronic anger problems. And, um, and if those things are happening, and you're trying to control it, and you're having a difficult time, I think it's a good idea to talk to someone. Yeah, because those vices that you listed, things like drinking and smoking and maybe reaching for unhealthy foods, that yep. they're to self-soothe, but they're also self-sabotaging as well, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know, people mm. do those things because they, they feel like they work in the moment. You know, right. like, well, this is how I relax. And but ultimately, if that becomes your go to, then it's there's going to be consequences down the road. I mean, all those things are unhealthy in in high amounts and so mm. finding better ways to cope uh, is is important yeah i uh, i really have to mention about the anticipation anger or catastrophizing which mm. is something you talk about a lot as well because i guess some to some degree that's again something that everybody it'll resonate with and sometimes that might be justified oh, this is going to happen or whatever and then sometimes it it's just not yeah, it's catastrophizing is really, uh, really interesting to me. So when we experience some sort of provocation, we go through sort of two related psychological processes where we evaluate that provocation. And the first part is where we actually even decide, is this a provocation, right? So driving down the road, car in front of me is driving too slow. The first thing I might do is evaluate, should they be doing that? Why are they doing that? that? That that sort of thing. It's like, is this bad? Is it blameworthy? Is it punishable? Et cetera. Then the second thing I do is start to evaluate my ability to cope with that thing. And that mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like that's when you sort of ask yourself, how bad is this? And that is where people have a tendency to catastrophize that they blow things out of proportion and they decide this is going to ruin my day, my week, my year, my life, my career, whatever. This thing that's happened, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, um, that that is where, you know, the, the, and by the way, the flip side can happen too. People can really minimize that stuff. They can say, it's all good. It's fine. It's not a big deal or whatever. And, and that's not good yeah. either, right? I mean, what, what you want is some sort of realistic understanding of what the consequences of this thing are. Mm -hmm. And 
when you when you ask yourself that question, I mean, just using the example, what are the consequences of me not being able to drive as fast as I want to? Honestly, more often than not, it's me getting where I want to go a couple minutes later. And mm -hmm. that isn't going to ruin my day, my week, my year, my life. It's just it's just a little bit of a bummer. So that's where I think that taking time to really evaluate the most likely consequence here is important. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge, I mean, the consequence might be significant. There are times when it is, right? That person may make you late for a flight. That person may make you, you know, late for work or miss your train or whatever. Yeah. That's bad. And um, and, and those things have consequences, but trying to have that sort of realistic, what's the most likely outcome? Mm. I mean, it, yeah, like you said, sometimes it, it can be incredibly inconvenient or worse. Mm. And then maybe the anger is justified, but then you're only really hurting yourself because that person oh. who's just made you late or made you miss your flight, they don't care. Right. I don't even know they've done that, right? So, yes. yep. But then when you're that mad, how do we, you know, take that inventory and go, okay, well, now I've missed my job interview, for example, if we're talking, right. you know, something not ideal. Right. Is it just then about finding a healthy way to express our anger rather than just putting a lid on it? Yeah. No, I think it is. What I oftentimes tell people to do, and so this is um, in, in my first book, one of the things I talk about is the importance of what I call diagramming an angry incident, right? It's, and it's about really evaluating the different pieces of why we get mad. So evaluating provocations, evaluating our mood at the time of the provocation, thinking about our appraisal process, meaning how we're interpreting that provocation. And then mm -hmm. finally, when we are feeling angry, what do we do with it? And I think that even that can kind of be broken up into two pieces because there's the, there's the part where I say, okay, what I'm going to do is try and decrease the feeling state. So that's where I'm going to take deep breaths. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do whatever. And then there's the, how do I behave? You know, do I yell and scream? Do I try and run the person off the road? What, what do I do? You know, and with that, what do I do? I think there are healthy and productive strategies there. And then there are some less healthy strategies for me in the, in the case you just mentioned being late to a job interview. One of the first things I would do is start to, to try and problem solve. So mm -hmm. how am I going to fix this? Right. Is there a way I can communicate with people like that something happened outside my control so that I can still do this job interview? Do I just accept that? Nope, this job isn't going to happen now. And I'm going to have to come up with some other options or some other alternatives. Like, how do I go forward knowing that this has happened to either fix it or accept it? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, to me, that actually can bring me a little bit of peace. It's a way of taking some ownership uh, and not just ownership, but some power back. A lot of times when we're angry, it's because we are feeling a little bit powerless. And so finding yeah. ways that you can actually affect change in a situation can help bring some of that power back and help you feel a little bit more in control. Mm. Just as we're kind of starting to wrap things up, in your um, extensive knowledge, what mm -hmm. are some effective strategies that you have come across in terms of, well, I'd, I'd actually love you to share not just managing our own anger, but then, you know, 
managing maybe well we can't manage somebody else's anger can we but we can manage our reaction to it yeah well let's let's talk about both those things separately here so okay uh, yeah first i think when it comes to managing our own anger and this is a perfect segue from that diagramming an angry incident piece because to me this is where why I encourage people to diagram their angry incident and, and to think through their angry incident is because I think that you can think about interventions in each of those places. So we can talk about, you know, where where might I be inviting provocations into my life? You know, are there times where I'm actually unintentionally doing things that end up making me angry? Right. Um, do I scroll through Facebook? Do I doom scroll before bed and see things that that'll make me upset? Um, you know, where am I inviting those things? Mm -hmm. And also, uh, if we know that we get angrier when we are tired or when we are hungry or when we are stressed, we can take steps to take care of ourselves and try and decrease, you know, make sure we are well fed, make sure we get enough sleep, make sure we're taking some relaxation approaches to decrease stress. We can think about our thoughts. We can have that sort of more measured, less catastrophic interpretation mm -hmm. of things. This is what you call in the book, is it the pre-stresses? Pre-anger state. Pre-anger uh, state, that's it. Sorry, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can do those things to, to try and help and, and I, I think this is really important because there are lots of places that we can intervene um, in dealing with our own anger and including the stuff that people typically go to, the take deep breaths, the relax, the channel it into things. We can think a, a little bit more holistically about ourselves and, and the things we're, we're doing. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to other people's anger, I think there are ways that we can end up managing quote unquote someone else's anger and and i don't necessarily mean that in a um in a it's our responsibility to but i do think that there are things when we're interacting with someone who's angry at us or angry at someone else there are strategies we can take to to de-escalate uh other mm. people the people around us um and so that might include things like making sure we aren't matching their tone Sometimes when people are angry, mm. we get angry too, and we mm. we sort of match their tone, um, mm. which which just brings that anger up. Instead, we can do the opposite. We can try and speak a little more calmly, even than normal, to try and bring them down. I, I think it's also very important. Sometimes I will try and um, uh, actually diagram an angry incident from their perspective, and so this can give you a sense of where they're coming from, what types of thoughts they're having about things, what mood they might have been in at the time uh, mm. of the, the provocation to better understand things. I think that that helps with some empathy on my part. I can kind of empathize with them. It also helps me have a better sense of where to intervene, right? If If I have a sense that the reason my boss is really mad at me is because he is catastrophizing the outcome of something I did, well, then we can talk through what that outcome is and what's most mm. realistic. Or maybe my boss doesn't fully understand the situation and I can help kind of clarify some things that happen to, to de-escalate things that way. So mm. there are, those are some strategies that I, I oftentimes encourage people to use. 
Yeah, that's such awesome advice. And I have to just piggyback off the thoughts thing because I did highlight this quote from you that I read in an article. The thoughts that we have in response to the first flare of anger are what can send us over the edge or help us harness the emotion for good. So mm-hmm. it's catching that first thought. Yes. And then, yeah, I just thought that was great. <laughs> oh, good. I, yeah, I, I really think that is true is taking that moment to really tr- and th- this is a skill this happens over time it, but but it happens when people are reflective and insightful and thoughtful about their anger that we can start to catch ourselves earlier on in that that emotional process recognize mm-hmm. when we're doing something or heading down a road we don't want to head and being able to stop ourselves and, and redirect mm. okay final question i ask every guest to set the listeners some homework based on the theme of the episode. So in this case, uh, Dr. Ryan, what is a simple, actionable first step when it comes to managing our anger that will help us all on our mission to building a happier life? Yeah. So here's what I would do. Take a moment to think about the last time you got angry and then write down four things. What was the provocation? What was the the stimulus that was the spark? What was your mood at the time you experienced that spark? Um, So how are you feeling in that moment? And I would define mood broadly. So not just your emotional mood, but, you know, your physiological state, we'll say. And then third is what was your interpretation of that provocation? So how did you interpret it? Did you decide that, you know, what, what thoughts were involved in all of that? including that the degree to which you might have catastrophized. And then the last thing I'd write down is what did you do? Um, how did you handle it? How did you express the anger? That is that process of, of diagramming the incident. And then based on all that, if you do that over time, you start to identify patterns. And knowing those patterns about yourself is so, so important you know, it, it helps reveal things like even basic things like I get angry a lot in the morning as I'm on my way to work. Right. And so that probably signals to you something about how you're interpreting your day, what you've got ahead of you, how you're feeling as you go to work. Mm-hmm. Those patterns really reveal can reveal a lot to you if you start paying attention to them. And one of the best ways to do that is to write them down. Thank you so much. This has been yeah very insightful and we've only scratched the surface really because, well, I mean, you filled two books on this stuff and they're <laughs> really good. So how to deal with angry people and why we get mad available wherever you get your books from. Your website as well, that's got loads of great stuff on there too. And yeah, that's where you can find that. It's not a quiz, is it? What is this, like a survey? Uh, yeah, it's it's a survey called uh, mm. The project yeah and the, yes. the website is alltheragescience.com but yeah awesome and you're the at anger professor on social media yep. and there's loads of content there too yeah thank you so much thank you happy 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 to talk to you and uh, what a great thing you're doing Gabby Beck with you. Thank you again to Dr. Ryan Martin for a truly enlightening conversation. And thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project. And now just one more minute of your time, please, for the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app 
which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. I really hope you found this episode helpful and if you did and you haven't already left a review, that goes a long way in helping us spread the word about our free service at My Possible Self and to find and follow us on social media if you're not already there. We are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.